This morning in North Carolina, wheels are spinning. Determination is winning. A passion is now a thriving business, and it shows no signs of slowing down. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one Clint Spiegel had with First Horizon Bank about starting a bike wheel manufacturing facility in Asheville. Now it's not just talk, it's rubber meets road. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Clint. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Six. Welcome to another episode of the 643 Podcast, a Friday edition. I know, I know, it's supposed to be Tuesdays and Thursdays, but you know what? Opening day should be a national holiday, and as such, it deserves proper reverence. Also, I really just kind of wanted to wait until after the game to actually be able to break down the game. So, if you guys weren't able to watch because it was at 105, and I know a lot of you have real person jobs that require you to be in an office or at a location, and they generally don't look favorably upon you watching baseball during the day. Uh, was a good day for the Braves. A little bit of everything. Not everything was perfect. Um, you kind of went through the entire gamut of emotions. Excuse uh, Mila over here, who's trying to do her level best to uh, break everything in sight. But the Braves end up winning 7-2, to which was nice. And again, Washington's pretty terrible. Facing off against Patrick Corbin. You know, that's, that's a pretty good recipe for success for any offense, but especially an offense uh, as well suited to beating up a left-handed pitcher as the Braves are. Uh, and I really liked what the Braves did, not because they scored seven runs, which was awesome, not because they won their first opening day since 2018, which was awesome, but because, offensively speaking, they kind of did things in a little bit of a different way from what we're used to seeing. Now, again... A lot of this probably because Patrick Corbin is terrible and the Washington Nationals as a whole are pretty terrible. But the Braves were uncharacteristically patient at the plate. And I think this is something, when I look at, at this Braves team, what I think they can do in 2023, I already think they're the World Series favorite. I mean, that's not a surprise. I'm pretty open about the Braves are my World Series team and how I think that they're the best team of anybody in baseball. But there's always this one caveat with the Braves, at least going back the past few seasons, which is they will chase more than the other elite teams in baseball. And while that aggressiveness at the plate is not necessarily a bad thing, I mean, it's, it's, you can be aggressive and, and that can be a good thing. You know, you don't necessarily want to be too passive either. I think that's what gets the Dodgers in trouble at times uh, when you can see them stall. Now, it works in their favor a lot because they'll run up pitch counts and get good starters out of the game, but also they'll end up letting better pitches to hit go by. And think Max Muncy. Max Muncy's a great example of this. Uh, last season, one of the reasons Muncy struggled so badly was because he was not swinging at fastballs right down the middle of the plate. He'd gotten so used to just taking pitches and being passive that he was literally passing up the best pitch you could possibly get because he, he no longer thought it was a strike. He was just so used to taking pitches and having 10-pitch 10, 10 counts 
that he just he'd be too passive. He'd pass up the best pitch to hit in that bat. That is that is an issue. Like you can be too passive, and I don't want the Braves to get to that part because you've got so many good hitters that are so talented offensively. It would seem like a waste to kind of do that. Plus, going up to the plate looking for a walk it's pretty boring, and I can't consider you an elite player if that's your game. But the flip side of that is. You don't always have to swing at every single strike that you get. And if it's one that's even on the borderline, you do have three strikes to play with. So if it's something where, like for Austin Riley, for example, if a guy's throwing a first pitch slider and it's breaking away from you, unless that thing hangs, let that one go by. And when and I'm using Austin Riley as an example here. Uh, obviously, Ozzy Albies is, is the biggest example of this. Ozzy's a guy that has such good bat-to-ball skills that he can make contact with pitches that he really shouldn't be swinging at. And unfortunately, that's what leads to him popping up or rolling over. Now, Ozzy had a really good day yesterday. Uh, three, uh, He had two hits, really got really, really unlucky uh, in his first at-bat as he scorched one that Lane Thomas just barely managed to snag. It was on a line. It, was, it, was a, it looked like it was a double easily. But it was nice because you got to see Ozzy get a hit from both sides of the plate. Uh, and, and his lefty hit wasn't much, just kind of poked it through the left side, right in between third base and shortstop. But you know what? That's what we've been talking about with Ozzy. If he's able to just kind of do that left-handed to where it's not just wholly reliant on him hitting some bombs left-handed and he can be a league average hitter from the left side of the plate, I think you're going to be talking about maybe the, the best second baseman in baseball. We'll see. Andres Jimenez, I think, uh, if he can replicate what he did offensively last year, you'll probably start putting him up as high as number two. Altuve, is gonna, he's on the 60-day IL with that broken thumb. So at least for this season, Ozzy's going to have a pretty concerted advantage. Mm-hmm. Jeff McNeil, he's obviously very good. Uh, but there is, there is a case to be made that for this Braves team to really reach the peak heights that they can, Really, the only thing for them to really work on is that chase rate. And that was something that you saw. They had seven walks yesterday. Um, no, six walks yesterday compared to seven strikeouts. And for this Braves team, that's awesome. Now, three of those walks were courtesy of Austin Riley. But you also had a walk by Sam Hilliard in his one plate appearance. Michael Harris took a walk, which is a nice thing. Uh, and then Orlando Arcia also took a walk. Now, for Michael Harris especially, Alex Anthopoulos hopped on the broadcast with Brandon Godden and Jeff Rancour, who, by the way, did fantastic jobs. I I can already tell I'm really going to love listening to Brandon Godden. He just sounds, the broadcast, at least through one game, it just sounded fantastic with the two of them. Their rapport sounded good. You could tell Godden is a fan, but you can also tell he's a professional broadcaster. Uh, I, I, I am so excited to listen to the booth uh, these days. But Alex Anthopoulos was talking about one of the things with Michael Harris that they were talking about coming off of an incredible rookie campaign was working on the chase rate, making sure that he's not chasing every pitch in sight. And that's something that if Michael Harris can do that and he can up his walk rate to even just what it was in the minors, something around, you know, eight and a half percent, you're probably going to add another 20 points onto his OBP. And all of a sudden he might be a 350 OBP guy that can hit you 30 home runs and steal 30 bags. That's an MVP right there to go along with an MVP in Ronald Acuna and to go along with a potential MVP in Austin Riley. I mean, it's pretty... And, and by the way, I'm not ready to say that Strider couldn't be an MVP. Now, it's harder for a pitcher to win MVP, but it's not like it's unheard of. It's happened before. And if Strider does what he's capable of doing, we'll see that tomorrow as he gets his first start of the season. If he goes and strikes out 300 people, he's probably the MVP. 
Those are that's an elite number. There are not many pitchers that can say they've struck out three hundred people. Garrett Cole led the league last year with like two hundred and fifty seven. Now that's a lot of strikeouts, but when you look at Strider versus Cole, just in the K to nine K per nine department, Strider had him beat by over two strikeouts per nine. This is a guy that was at like fourteen strikeouts per nine innings as a starter last year. He actually got better at striking people out as a starter versus being a reliever. And now you start talking about a season where you're going to see his change up more. I know we have this idea that Strider's just a two-pitch guy and, oh, two-pitch guys don't succeed. Well, that's not really true. As long as your two pitches are elite and as long as one of those two pitches is an elite fastball, then, yeah, you're going to succeed. But Spencer's also not a two-pitch guy. It's just if they're not hitting your two best pitches, why would you throw a pitch that's not your best? You want to get beat throwing your best pitches. Now, if they show you that they can hit those best pitches, all right, now all of a sudden you want to switch it up and use some more. That's where having multiple pitches at your disposal works out. But if, you, if you've if you got such great stuff with a fastball and a slider and nobody can touch it, stick with that. But when he does go using the changeup, and I, I may have mentioned this on the podcast. I know I've mentioned it on air a couple times. His changeup is a swing and miss changeup. Every pitch in his arsenal is swing and miss. I think we'll see. Now, I don't know if we'll see it against Washington because they're pretty terrible as a lineup. But I think as the season goes on, you're going to see Spencer use that changeup a lot more often, especially against lefties. Now, it almost doesn't matter. His stuff is so good that it doesn't really matter if he's facing a lefty or a righty. He's just really, really good uh, against both of them. But... If you can add in a changeup like that, and that's another swing and miss pitch, and you can uh, you can continue doing what he's doing, because one thing about Spencer that I think sets him apart from the other power pitchers right now is that he doesn't really give up home runs. This is something that could change. Most power guys that throw exceptionally hard, they're going to give up long balls. Like, look at Justin Verlander, even look at DeGrom. When DeGrom actually gives up contact, he'll give up homers. That's what happens when you throw 101 miles an hour. Provides its own power. But you look at Spencer and what he's done outside of his very, very brief two-and-a-third-inning cameo in 2021, he's never had a homer per nine rate above one outside of that that one two-inning spurt in the bullpen. It's incredible. Last year, over 131 and two-thirds innings, it was .48. I mean, his ground ball percentage, though in the way that he does, you figure that it would be in the 30s, it was 40.3. Now, that you know that, that's not exceptionally high or whatever. But it's also not exceptionally low. This is a guy that can do a lot of things. Now, is he going to completely carry over the exact numbers from a season ago? I don't know. Typically, I look at a second season and I say, well, probably not going to have the exact same success because now there's video on you. There's a plan of attack against you and, and all of this. But you are talking about 131 and two-thirds innings. I mean, that kind of cutoff number is 150, right? And then if you're just better than the other guys, you might not even need that 150 innings for me to know what you are. And for Spencer, he, I, I, I'm very confident that Michael Harris is going to have an incredible season. I have zero doubts, not one single doubt, that Spencer Strider is going to be an elite pitcher this year. I've said it a million times. I think he's your Cy Young this year. I think what he does is just so different from every, from every other pitcher. When you look at the guys that you compare him to, you know, there's there's Dylan Cease and I think Spencer is Spencer has better command than Dylan Cease. 
also has slightly better stuff, but has, has better command than Cease, who very easily could have won the AL Cy Young a season ago if Justin Verlander didn't go sub two on his ERA all season long. The next name that you look at is Jacob deGrom. And in terms of stuff, if the only people you can really be compared to are Jacob deGrom and Dylan Cease, that means your stuff is just absolute filth. And to be able to command it for strikes, I know Max is the ace of this road, or Max is the one in this rotation. Spencer is the guy going forward. And this is going to be true even if the Braves re-sign Max, which I, I, I'm more hopeful of that now than I was before the offseason. I think with this offseason, the way that the contracts were, were kind of spaced out and the way it kind of went lower AAV but longer-term contract, Max is a guy that you feel great about as far as how he's going to age. I think that might be a way for Alex to be able to keep Max around at his number without breaking his kind of rules as far as the salary per year. Spencer's the better arm. Spencer has better stuff. Spencer is the higher ceiling. And that's crazy when you're talking about maybe the best left-handed pitcher in baseball, but that's the level of just sheer dominance you can get from Spencer Strider. That's all going to start tomorrow. But when you're talking about Michael Harris, which was kind of the point of all this, and the chase rates involved, when you look at these Braves hitters, now Acuna is pretty good at not chasing. Matt Olson is the best on the team as far as not chasing. Austin, that was maybe the only downside for him last year was his chase rate, and he still had like an 8% walk rate. Three walks on opening day? I mean, he started his first two at-bats with 3-0 counts, so you'd expect a walk or, or a good pitch to hit there. But if Austin gets into a double-digit walk rate... He finished sixth in MVP voting a season ago. If he gets into the double digits on that walk rate, he's a real candidate to go 300, 400, 500. Now, I don't know if he's necessarily going to really be a 300 hitter. He could be more 285, 375, uh, and then still be over 500 on the slug. Like, that's possible, too. And those are pretty elite numbers as well. But he's got the hitting acumen to where if he's not chasing, you're going to see at-bats where he'll get better pitches to hit just from him not making contact with something he shouldn't have. Or you'll see him take more walks because of it, in which case he'll be on base more often. And then everybody behind him in the lineup, they get fantastic results. Ozzy Albies, if Ozzy is going to bat behind, uh, if Ozzy's going to bat behind uh, Riley, that's going to be a great spot for Ozzy. Whoever's hitting behind him, because we'll, we'll see what happens uh, tomorrow when they'll be facing a righty instead of a lefty. We'll see how the lineup shakes out. But whoever's behind the top three hitters in this lineup, they're going to have opportunities to drive in runs. And if Austin is, is making a real concerted effort to pick his pitch, we've already seen the gains he was able to make in a very short span. He's also like 24 years old. The, the ceiling on Riley is much higher than I think most people anticipated. Now, there are some people that, that knew the ceiling for Riley was just gargantuan. And I think when you say Troy Gloss, I actually think his ceiling is higher than Troy's, which is pretty crazy. Troy Gloss was an incredible player. I think Austin, at the very least, is a Troy Gloss clone, and I think he could be better over the long haul because I think he might be able to sustain longer than Troy Gloss sustained. And people forget, there was a time in the league where Troy Gloss was probably the best third baseman in all of baseball. He was a great defender, a lock for 40 home runs, driven, driving in 100, and he was a great hitter. But I think Austin is a better pure hitter. Power is the same. I think defensively, defensively, Gloss is still ahead of where Riley is currently. But just in terms of their ability to, to be a pure hitter, I think Austin might be slightly ahead. And if you add in the walk rate there, if you get Austin to 
to kind of up that walk rate like he's been doing the past couple of years, that ceiling grows exponentially. And that's that's a pretty scary concept when you can look at this Braves team. And yeah, there's some others that have outside shots at MVP, but they could have three guys who could legitimately win MVP any season. Ronald, we all know what Ronald can do. And Ronald wasted zero time getting his first stolen base out of the way, coaxed two throws over out of Patrick Corbin, took off, slipped, came back, took off again, and got his first steal of the campaign. And that's going to be a pretty consistent theme across Major League Baseball. I believe there were 21 stolen bases on opening day yesterday. Uh, to put that in comparison, last season there were seven, I believe. Um, so, yeah, the bigger bases, the, uh, the, the limiting of the throwing over to first, that's already paying huge dividends. I do think you're going to see back picks become a lot more often from catchers. But all in all, you look at, at what the Braves did yesterday, and, and yes, there was some odd things. Defense was not particularly strong. Uh, two errors charged, and there should have been two others, but you're, you can't call something an error if you don't make contact with a glove. Uh, you had an error by Austin Riley. You had an error by Michael Harris. You probably should have had an error by Ozzy Albies, and you should have had an error by Orlando Arcia. Um, but the Braves were still able to limit all the damage, held them to two runs, and pushed across seven of their own. And that was, they pushed across seven. They very easily could have pushed across 15. Their sequencing of their at-bats wasn't always fond or fantastic. That could have very easily been a 10-run victory. That's how, how the Braves looked lineup-wise. And again, We'll wait until the second series when they're playing St. Louis to see how they look against an actual good baseball team because the Nationals are terrible. But opening day gets weird. If you looked around Major League Baseball, there were a lot of weird lines. I mean, Jacob DeGrom got roughed up by Philadelphia. Aaron Nola got blown up by Texas. A lot of pitchers, a lot of great pitchers really struggled. Corbin Burns gave up four runs to the Cubs in that offense. I mean, all in all, opening day is weird for everybody. Now, unfortunately for the Braves and Braves fans, yesterday did come at a little bit of a cost as Max Fried had to leave after three and a third, uh, strained his hamstring. Now, before you freak out, it didn't look that bad. Like, he wasn't even limping. And that's something that, that I'm happy to, to be able to say. He'll still probably go on the IL, I would imagine, just to be very safe. But even when you saw him in the warm-up pitches, it looked like he looked over at, at George and said, hey, I'm good, and they just took him out out of an abundance of caution. That's kind of what Snit said uh, in the postgame and what Max said. Now, Snit did say that he thinks Max will go on the IL. But again, I think that's more just of an overabundance of caution. And early in the season, I think that's smart. You don't want to run him back out there and risk that tweak turning into a pull or a tear or anything like that where he'd be out for a long-term time. And hamstrings can be tricky. So it's better to be overly cautious with it. It was a cold day. No need to really stress it on opening day. And it's not like the Braves at that point felt like they were in any danger of losing the game. It did allow Brian Snicker to let his bullpen guys go in and get, mo and a lot of his bullpen guys, to go out there and get their first outing out of the way. The bullpen was great. Uh, and that, that's going to be a consistent theme. And that's a bullpen without Rysel Iglesias to start the season. They're going to face Josiah Gray tomorrow, which... Last season, Josiah Gray was the most home run pitcher of any pitcher in baseball. That's a bad combination against this Braves lineup, who scored seven runs, had 12 hits, and did not hit a single home run yesterday. The weather's warmer at all tomorrow. Don't think it's going to be bombs away. But it is interesting to note that Josiah Gray, formerly a top prospect for LA, he did pitch better in the spring. 
But if you're a guy that's prone to give up home runs, you can't give up anything else. You have to be very careful. And I think this Braves lineup, whether it's a righty or a lefty, they're going to be able to tee off. And I think tomorrow, I'm very interested to see how the lineup rolls out. Because against Josiah Gray, you'll have Eddie Rosario in left field. And yesterday, you had Marcel in left and Travis Darno at DH. And that's that, to me, that's the most interesting part of this. I think the Braves are a World Series team no matter what they do in left field and DH. But if Snicker is able to kind of overcome his misgivings about playing two catchers in the same game and put Travis as like the, the main DH, then this lineup becomes the deepest and best in baseball. And you saw yesterday, Travis was fantastic. Was it uh, three for four, four for five, uh, three ribbies for him? I mean, Travis was, was awesome. And I think as a DH, it allows him to keep his legs underneath him. It'll let his offense play even better as the season goes on. And then if he does, you know, if you don't want to, if you don't want to have him DH the day before he catches, I don't know why you'd be worried about that. But if that's, if that's what you don't want to do, then fine. Let him DH three out of five days, catch one and have one off day. At that point, then you can roll with Eddie or Hilliard or Ozuna, whoever you want to DH. I don't really care. But if that's going to be a thing, if we roll out for tomorrow's lineup and it's Eddie in left field and Travis at DH again, then I think that's, that's the best lineup this Braves team can roll out right now. Uh, now we'll see how it continues to go with Orlando Arcia at short. Uh, he had such a great end to spring after he got named the starter. And while I, I've said a couple times that I, I would have rolled with Vaughn, I thought Vaughn played very well this spring. Uh, and I didn't just think it. He did. He played very well this spring. Orlando is a guy that they're very confident in. And Alex has tried to, he tried to trade for him before he actually did eventually get him. And you know what? I keep saying all the time, Alex is not often wrong. So he does deserve some benefit of the doubt here. Now, does that mean that if the Braves start off terribly and RC is hitting 200, that I'll be happy that that was the move? No. But it also doesn't mean that that's going to happen. I mean, if Alex is confident that Orlando's swing is going to play, as long as he can be a little bit more consistent than what he was uh, last year. And by the way, even last year, had a 104 WRC plus for Orlando. It's the first time in his career that he's been an above average hitter. If he can be an above average hitter, no matter what the line looks like, as long as that, that WRC plus shows that he's an above league average hitter with his level of defense, because I do think his defense is underrated, then the Braves are perfectly fine with that. There's not a lot of holes to fill in this team, and even if there are, the Braves have a lot of depth in certain spots. So especially with this thing with Max Freed, if it ends up being something where Max misses a few starts, if it's only going to be one or two, then all that means is you just leave Dylan Dodd up in the rotation. If it's something where he might end up being out a month, then maybe by that time, maybe by the end of April, maybe Michael Soroka's got the rust knocked off and he's got his, his, his arm strength built back up. We know Kyle Wright will be up relatively quickly. There's a number of options the Braves can use. Now, none of them are going to be Max Freed. But I am very excited, not just because I like Soroka, but just to see, once he gets that rust knocked off and we really get a look at Michael Soroka, not Soroka that got a late start to game work in spring training because of a hamstring tweak of his own, not a Soroka from last season who was you know dealing with being back on the mound for the first time and with some new mechanics. But if we can get Soroka with the rust knocked off and actually see how similar and how close he was or how close he is now to what he used to be, that could end up being a gigantic boost to an already top-notch starting rotation. 
We'll see Jared Schuster. I believe Schuster will be Sunday. He'll get to face off against Washington. So that's a good that's a good spot for him to get his feet wet again in a, in a real game. But even if he doesn't really hack it, there's so many options the Braves can turn to. If it's just going to be one start, they could turn to Bryce Elder the next time through the rotation. They could turn to Ian Anderson. Gwinnett's going to get started today. We'll, we'll see how they roll it out. I have a feeling it'll be Kyle Wright, just because they're getting him work. And then probably followed by, my guess would be Ian or Bryce, and then Soroka would end up being the fourth there. Although I'd like to see Soroka the two. If I see Soroka as the two for Gwinnett, then I'll know the plan is going to be as soon as his arm gets stretched out that he's going to come up. If that's the case, I'll, I'll just be happy just to be able to see that anyway. But it'll also mean, because again, Alex and company, they're not typically wrong about this. It'll just mean that the Braves have high expectations for Soroka for the 2023 season. If they have high expectations for him, you should too, which would mean that there would be a, not another team in baseball that would have a rotation as deep as the Braves to go along with the bullpen where there's only one other team that can compete with the Braves, and that's Seattle. You could argue Houston, too. They're slightly worse, but I guess they could compete. So there'd be three teams with that level of bullpen to go along with a lineup that if Snid is, is going to make a, a, you know, a point to have Travis be the main DH, not a lot of lineups in baseball that can boast what the Braves would be able to put together power-wise, just pure hitting-wise, everything. This team would be an absolute juggernaut. They may be already. But if all of that works out, which it's it's not unfeasible for that to work out, 100% this would be the best-looking team in baseball and one of the better teams that we've seen in years. And saying that they're going to win 100, 102 games would be a little bit low on them. Now, for the rest of the NL East, uh, you did see the Mets. Uh, they've quickly had a Mets injury as Justin Verlander uh, was announced. It was announced yesterday that Justin Verlander strained or tweaked his Terry's major. I don't know where that is. I believe it's in your shoulder so that he's going to be out for probably about a month. One of the big differences here is the Mets don't have the same depth as the Braves. They've already had to deal with putting uh, David Peterson in the rotation to make up for Jose Quintana being out for about a month or two. Now you're going to have to have Tyler McGill slot in for Justin Verlander. That's a big loss. We'll see how they handle it today. Matter of fact, they're actually they're actually playing today. I didn't even see who their starting pitcher was lined up today. I thought it might be Kodai Senga, but no, it's going to be David Peterson today. They're going to let him face off against Miami first, and then you'll probably see Kodai Senga uh, on Sunday. Yeah, you'll see Kodai Senga on Sunday, which I'll be interested to watch because if Senga if Senga is outstanding, then that's good for the Mets because there's going to be I, I have a feeling there's going to be quite a few injuries for for them uh, when you have an older rotation. Those injuries kind of can pile up on you quickly. And Verlander, I know he was really healthy last year, but he's 40 years old. Scherzer's not any younger. He's 38, and he's been dealing with arm fatigue the past couple of seasons. Um, well, I think the Mets are really good, their situation with their rotation is not the same as the Braves. Where, yeah, none of the guys the Braves have waiting the wings are as good as Max. But Soroka, at his, at his absolute best, certainly could be. We've seen Ian pitch well before. Bryce Elder has pitched well before. Schuster and Dodd both looked outstanding this spring. We'll see if that carries over. The Braves have plenty of options to be able to plug in. And even if Max were to go down, knock on wood, for any long length of time, I actually think you're better with Spencer as the one. That's how crazy That's how crazy it is. Now, I shouldn't say that until we see Spencer uh, do it this season. But I'm a guy that I'm, I'm going to go with how I'm feeling. And Spencer, Spencer's the most talented pitcher on this team. So once you get Kyle Wright back up here, 
this rotation will be just as absolutely bonkers as the lineup and the bullpen. Uh, I'm a little bit upset that there's no Braves baseball today. I wish there were. I don't like an off day right after opening day. But you know what? I'll live with it. There's still a few games to get around and be able to watch today. And it's early enough in the season to where I think most baseball fans are going to if you're going to be able to watch. Uh, because you'd figure they'd want every game on TV. But you have the Mets versus Miami at 640. Uh, the White Sox in Houston, that should be pretty fun. It'll be Christian Javier taking on Lance Lynn. Colorado and San Diego, which I, I don't know how that'll go. Uh, but Cleveland-Seattle, that's a great matchup. And then you're going to get Arizona and L.A. as, as a, also another 10-10 start. That'll be Merrill Kelly versus Dustin May. That should be a, a fun little night of baseball to wet your whistle before the Braves get started on Saturday where we get to see Spencer take the mound for the first time. But that's going to do it for me today. A little bit of a shorter episode. Uh, if you guys want to tune in a little bit later, 643 will also be on 680 The Fan tonight, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. You should always tune in. Uh, we're going to talk nothing but baseball for two hours. Same thing that we'll do tomorrow. Uh, make sure you tune in because once the Braves season gets kicked into gear like normal, shows will be a little bit more sporadic. So make sure you're tuning into the 643 podcast, 643 weeknights, and 643 on Saturday mornings. You can listen to me ramble on and get you all hyped up about the Braves pretty much at least three times a week, at least four times a week, every week throughout the Major League Baseball season. Have a great day, everybody. We will check back in with you on Tuesday. That's going to do it for the 643 podcast. That's all, folks. Tonight in Arkansas, there's a mother tucking in her daughter and turning off the light. A business owner is burning the midnight oil. An at-home dinner date is plating up possibility. And it's all happening under one roof. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one John from Integrity Solutions had with First Horizon Bank about his vision for a sustainable mixed-use building. Now it's not just words, it's life. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash John. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. The fan is ready for brave season. Are you? 3-1 smoked high in the air, deep center field, and heading for the horizon. A home run by Olsen. We're streaming every game of the Braves 2024 season free on the 680 The Fan app. So make sure you download it now and don't miss a pitch of the Braves this season.